And yes, it is time to join us both, Samuel, <laughs> at Life FM Bendigo's Positive Choice. So it's great to be in the studio and it's really good to be discussing uh, some interesting things around, well, we, we thought, we've had a few people sort of say, uh, is, is, are certain things relevant yeah. uh, nowadays that, uh, that may have been from long gone past? And yeah. one of those things is the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, you've been hanging out to do a bit of a, a series on the Ten Commandments, so I we did. thought we might start it this week. <laughs> um, because, you know, a lot of people do say, don't they, that... The new, the you know, Moses was given the Ten Commandments. That was in the Old Testament. Jesus has given us a new dispensation in the New Testament. Yeah, exactly. So therefore, it's no longer relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know our our modern day laws, the foundation that they are, are built on really is the Ten Commandments. So mm-hmm. you know how do we how do we approach this bit of a dilemma of um, of the old and the supposed new and and how they cross over and become relevant. Yeah, very um, uh, good question. Uh, you know, the question you're asking is very fundamental in a, in a way that, you know, y- you've, you've placed two things that are quite uh, significant there. Number one, uh, that, you know, you can observe that most of our modern laws, you know, whether it murders or whether it is theft, mm. you know, or, or you know, bearing false witness. You know, most of those laws that we have today are pretty much built on the foundation of the Ten Commandments. Yes. However, uh, there is this stream of thoughts within a Christendom, unfortunately, that seems to posit that, well, the law is Old Testament. We are under grace now. So it has had two implications. I'm going to sort of look at those qu- the question that has been asked from two angles. Number one, it has weakened the involvement of the Judeo-Christian worldview within our modern legal system. Why? Because if the believers themselves have come to this conclusion that that which is Old Testament is Old Testament and we are in the New Testament, therefore it's the law of the New Testament, the law of love, you know, you know, you wonder how we've gotten to love is love kind of, you know, stuff we have in our culture today. Because the New Testament Christian thought if you, let's say, hammered and, you know, uh, and, and uh, you know, preached from the Old Testament and the commandment in the Old Testament, you are no longer, you know, presenting God's grace. Right. And so because of that, the secular world and those who are in a secular realm who still because secularism is a child of the Judeo-Christian worldview. Without the Judeo-Christian worldview, secularism, especially the type of secular humanism we have in our culture today would not have been born. So because of that, that foundation was still there. You know, the you shall not bear false witness and so on and so Those foundations were still there. It was upheld by the, you know, the secularist uh, to a certain degree, while the church and the believers were running away from the Old Testament as far as they could get. Okay. Mm. And so, as soon as postmodernism, relativism, and postmodernism start to walk in, which has led us to the 
wokeness where we are, <laughs> you can see why the things that were like, for example, you shall not, you know, covet your neighbor's wife or you should not, you know, commit adultery. Those, those kind of laws have started to disappear. Yes, that's right. Because the, the foundation has gone. The church has been running away from the, you know, the, 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 the Old Testament and running away from the Ten Commandments as fast as they could. Because if you started preaching, with the, oh, that's legalism. You know, we don't, we're under grace now. Mm. And so without realizing, this is where actually from the introductory point of answering this question, we have to realize how the position that we are in the New Testament, that's the Old Testament, is a very dangerous position. It's a very, very dangerous position to take. It has an implication. You know, the church may have thought that it didn't have any implication as far as we were inside our walls and our laws were as they were, as though they will never change. Mm. Until we've gotten to where we are, now, you know, it's, it's, you know, sexual freedoms everywhere else. Who's going to start talking about, you know, laws on, you know, adultery and laws on every other thing around the sexual morality, for example, yeah. which has just died? Yes. Think about it. Honor your, your, your father and mother. Where, where is that commandment gone? Mm. Right? You know, honor your father and mother. Or, you know, I was talking about don't, don't lie. People, people no longer, people, you know, don't lie when they're probably going to get caught. Just watch how our politicians go, right? Yeah. So we have, by asserting that and espousing the position that the Old Testament is old and we are in the New Testament, we have actually, unfortunately, I'll say this, you know, it's it, sometimes you've got to call the church to repentance. We have undermined mm. the very foundation upon which the society, great society, that now we're starting to cry around, you know, what's happening to our country. We have started by undermining that. Yes, exactly. By this belief that Old Testament is Old Testament. I'm going to look into it in a moment. Yeah. Um, so Because the, there's so many different layers, isn't there, to, to the commandments. I mean, thou shalt not kill. Um, you know, people have taken that maybe just um, adults or breathing people but but we kill the unborn or you know society kills the unborn without even thinking twice um and uh you know there are so many layers to the ten commandments it's not just what it says but but you know in in honoring your father and mother what does that mean when you've got it when you've had a toxic relationship with parents and that sort of stuff so there are a number of layers that we'll be able to think we're going to peel all those layers peel away and uh, and and really get a good understanding of what it's like that's exactly yeah and if people want to join us live a little bit you can go to samuel's chisichetti samuel chisichetti's facebook page yes and you can see his smiling face and you can pop some questions in <laughs> and as we're going along, we can actually answer them too while, yes. uh, while we're on air. That'd that's, be good. that's exactly right. So let's start by, you know, theologically, I would like to sort of, you know, th- there is something called practical theology. You know, practical theology is, you know, it's okay for you to espouse a theological idea, but how, how does that work out practically? So like, at the end of every sermon, you know, you have to give a practical application, right? Yes. Because it... Well, well what, hopefully you do. Yeah, because what, what's the point of you, you giving the entire sermon if it doesn't have a pra- practical application at the mm. end of it? Yeah. So practical theology is that, okay, well, you, you can espouse all that idea. How does it work practically? Okay. So let's look at, look at when somebody said, well, the no, Old Testament no longer applies to the to the New Testament Christian, yeah. What do they exactly mean by that? Mm. Do they mean that Genesis one one in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? 
no longer apply as a set of affirmed belief by which we live as New Testament Christians? No. Of course not. No. What, what do they mean? What, what do they mean? What they say, well, so anything that has ever been written in the Old Testament can't be taught as a way of building a good foundational moral code by which we may live? Mm. Do they mean that? I mean, is there any place in the, old, in the New Testament where you, while you, the, the apostles talk, you know, in relation to all the you know, old, old Testament Ten Commandments, but you don't actually have a repeated Ten Commandments? In fact, some would say, you know, um, you know Mark chapter 12, verse 28, 29, 30, uh, you know, Jesus was asked by the, the, um, one of the teachers of the law, what's the greatest commandment? Oh, well, Jesus said, well, you should love the Lord of your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Mm. That's the commandment. Why do we need a ten? That's, Jesus summarized all that in one commandment, which is sort of in two sections. Mm. So, does that mean that it's actually it's interesting? It's as though that statement is a, it's a, a, an innovation of the New Testament. Well, it's not. What I'm about to prove to you now. So mm. Jesus didn't say something new that the whole testament hadn't said. Yeah. And so you dig at it and you find out that what they mean is that the Bible says we're no longer under the law. And so they have to nut out exactly what do they what did the Bible mean by now that we are in Christ, we're no longer under the law. Which law are we talking about. So, let me try to sort of establish the number of things that, you know, I've, I was listening to someone who said, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you've never heard that, you know, the God of the Old Testament is the God of, you know, wrath. You know, he does, uh, you know, wipe the Canaanites, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, it's only lays, a small portion of the Old Testament, he, really. It lays down the law, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, the God of the New Testament is different. Uh-uh. Well, no. No. Okay. Okay. You're first with the same card. So mm. let me give you um, a few points. Uh, let's see if I can uh, go through them uh, so that we can remove this confusion. Okay. Number one, when Jesus said that scripture cannot be broken, all right? Mm-hmm. Let's just sit about this practically. When Jesus says, well, scripture cannot be broken, no not even a little dot of the, the what is written in Scripture will go without being fulfilled. Which Scripture was Jesus talking about? Mm. In fact, the New Testament you have, unless you espouse a secessionist argument, uh, which I'm happy to look at, Jesus and the apostles, when they say the Scripture, guess what Scripture they were talking about? They were not talking about the New Testament. It wasn't compiled yet. No, that's right. Yep. Jesus and the apostles, every time they say the scripture, they were talking about the Old Testament. Testament yeah. That's a scripture they refer to. Mm. Can I actually even and posit this to you? When uh, Apostle Paul said to Timothy that all scripture is inspired, mm. which scripture was he, was he referring to? The Old Testament. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. remember, Timothy is was a Jewish boy mm. 
me actually go find find um uh find uh some some um uh da, 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 a few things that may be of some use to you as I look at um here is Paul talking to Timothy. If you open Second Timothy chapter three from verse 15 and verse 16, which I think I would like to read. So let's open our Bibles uh, together and we're going to read that particular text here. So 2 Timothy um, chapter, we're looking at chapter 3. Uh, just opening it as, as quick and as fast as we can. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse, let's actually read a bit in context, but you know all about me, verse 10, you know what I teach and the way I live, you know my goal in life, you know my faith, my patience, my love, you know that I never stopped uh, trying, you know about my persecution and my suffering, you know all the things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecution I suffered in those places, but the Lord saved me from all of it. Everyone who wants to live showing true devotion to to God in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. People who are evil and cheat others will be will come um, will become worse and worse. They will fool others, but they will also be fooling themselves. Verse fourteen. Mm. But you should continue following the teaching you learned. You know it is true because you know. You can trust those who taught you. You have known the Holy Scriptures. Yeah. Now remember, he's written this this letter to Timothy, but he's referring to Scriptures here to Timothy. You know the Holy Scriptures. Now, I want to remind you that Timothy is in the New Testament. Yeah. He's not an Old Testament guy. You know the Holy Scriptures since you were a child. The scriptures are able to make you wise. Which scriptures are able to make him wise? Mm. Pause that is a thought. Yeah. And well, we'll get back into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll leave everybody with that thought. I think we all know the answer at the moment. <laughs> You're on 105.1 Life FM, Bindigo's Positive Choice. And this week's topic on Q&A with Samuel is the Ten Commandments. Yes. Are they relevant to us now? Or because we live in a New Testament age... Do we really have to abide by them? Yes, that's exactly right. Now, so, you know, we were holding onto a, a, a fantastic thought, and I was in the middle of reading the text uh, in Second uh, Timothy. Yes. And everybody knows this particular text. Then very often, I was just putting in my Bible right in front of my uh, everyone. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> juggling, <laughs> that's the juggling, everyone that's online. <laughs> juggling, juggling, exactly. Yeah. Now, so I was saying that everybody knows this text and everybody goes, well, you know, when you get to verse 16, which is uh, the more, most interesting one. So I was reading verse 15 there, which says, since you were a child, the scriptures are able to make you wise and that wisdom leads to salvation through faith in Christ. Mm. The Old Testament scripture that he had learned since he was a child that was capable of giving him wisdom and lead to salvation through Christ. Mm. And then he goes then to say, verse 16, all scripture is given by God or inspired. Mm. All scripture is, is inspired and all scripture is useful 
for teaching, for showing people what is wrong in their lives. It is useful. I'm reading. It's quite an, an interesting. Uh, what's what's the version? Translation. Yeah, yeah, ERV. Yeah. Um, <laughs> English revised. Um, so you know, in their life, it is useful for correcting faults, teaching the right way to live, using the scriptures. Those who serve God will be prepared and will have everything they need to do every good work. Mm. Now, often when a New Testament Christian reads this text, they have straight away in their mind the compilation of the New Testament. I don't dismiss that. But I'm saying, remember, this is a personal letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, his young mentee. Mm. And when you know he's receiving this, he's receiving instruction from his young mentee. And it is true that the apostle believed that what they wrote was God's word. But ways he's writing it is pointing to t- Timothy to something specific. Yes. Because he even says to him specifically, you grew up in scriptures. Mm. All right. Mm. So he wasn't saying you grew up in my letters. You grew up in First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. <laughs> yeah. You grew up in First Corinthians and Romans and, and Luke and John. No, 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 no. Mm. He said to him, you grew up in the knowledge of the Old Testament. Yes. And then, but you notice that you know Jesus quoted times and times and times again the Old Testament. Mm. So I want to say to you that the New Testament Christians—that's Jesus, the apostles, uh, and and those after the apostles—quoted the Old Testament as scriptures. Mm. Who remembers when you know uh, uh, Stephen is you know standing right before actually Paul acquiesces his his, uh, his martyrdom. Uh, it, it goes through the Old Testament to show that Christ was the Messiah. Mm. Anybody who dismisses the Old Testament will have dismissed actually the three quarter of Scripture, thirty nine of the books of of your Bible right now is the Old Testament. So uh, he, here's another one uh, in Second Timothy. We go chapter four, mm-hmm. verse two, and three and four. Preach the word, be ready in season and out the season. Rebuke, reprove, and exhort with complete patience teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. Now, Paul is saying to him, preach the word. He's preaching the word from scriptures. Mm. You see, you have to understand that the church that we're talking about, Christianity is an offshoot of Judaism. Mm. Okay. Yeah. These people didn't just stand up in the front of the assembly and just concoct whatever was coming to mind. No. Jesus taught them using the Old Testament. And so they knew the Messiah now. They knew what he had come to do. And the justification they have for it was the Old Testament text. Yeah. This is why you see Matthew quotes it, John quotes it. Even when Peter starts to speak on the day of Pentecost, guess what he does? The first thing he does, he quotes the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. Mm. So this sort of you know, dismissal, summarily dismissing the Old Testament just because we are New Testament Christian, you must tell yourself, when the Old Testament was finalized, the compilation was finished, then... Somehow the old, you know, the apostles and the, those who came after them taught that you have to chuck the Old Testament in the world. It it is nonsense. No. Mm. It's number one. 
Number two, people who have walked away from the teaching of the Old Testament because they don't want to read it and they don't understand that certain things in them in the Old Testament make them feel uncomfortable. Mm. So in, in other words, the, the modern church has decided that since we don't understand it, or it makes us feel uncomfortable. Why does it make you feel uncomfortable? Because you've set a standard in your mind, no mind, by which you treat. Let's, for example, I like to take those uh, sort of hard things to deal with. Uh, you know, the wiping off of the Canaanite. Right. Yeah. It makes a lot of believers feel uncomfortable these days. Mm. You know, okay, well, God said, and, and women and children, and let them all be, you know, I was w- talking to a friend in the UK, a Methodist minister, uh, Ken Stock, a very lovely man, uh, a preacher, powerful preacher, Methodist, but preacher, powerful. Mm. And he said he was just uncomfortable with the thoughts that, you know, the writer of Psalm was saying, you know, on the bank of the river of Babylon, as I sit and I wish that your children be bashed, their head be bashed to the stones. Mm. Right? So he was feeling uncomfortable. He said, that can't be inspired by God. I'm like, what do you mean it's not inspired? It's, it's <laughs> the Bible says all scriptures inspired. Yeah. And so you may have to struggle with or try to define what we understand by the inerrancy of scripture, which is where you're struggling with. But because he was, you know, he was a big man, he didn't want to listen. He said, no, Samuel, I don't want to talk about it. Mm. So that was the end of our discussion. I'm like, sure, sure, no problems. But you see, um, if, if you're uncomfortable with God dishing out judgment on the Canaanite, why? Mm. Why exactly do you think that God does not have the right to say, okay, these people, I am judging them now? Let me give you just a, a simple rational thinking about why God would judge the Canaanite. This is Genesis chapter 15, if I am not mistaken. And God promises Abraham that I will take your children in after Abraham is, uh, you know, dividing the offering. God is asking him to bring him an offering. Yeah. And he divides the animals and he didn't divide the birds for whatever reason. So a deep sleep comes up upon him. And then now... Uh, you know, he said, the Lord came and told Abraham that your children are going to be going into a, to be a slave in a land that is not theirs. And they'll be there for a long time because the sins of the Canaanite is not, have, not achieved, have not reached their peak. When it does, I will judge the Canaanite and I will give this land to your descendants. Mm. That is the reason why the children of Israel went to Egypt. So that the, the judgment that God was, you know, had set for the Canaanite, and you notice he hadn't judged them until their sins have reached the point of no return. Mm. So with, in other words, God was forbe- had forbearance. He was, he was actually gracious. For those who think God of the Old Testament is not gracious, he was gracious because he could have judged those people at any point. But he said, no, I'll judge them until they sin is reach a point of no return. What did the Canaanite used to do? The Canaanite used to offer offerings to Molech. Molech, yeah. And guess what that offering was? They would take their children alive, mm. and they have uh, Molech was this molten metal uh, thing uh, god uh, with arms stretched like that. And so they will put fire and basically the metal will get really red hot. 
as I'm talking about it, if you're feeling uncomfortable, yes, that's the point. Mm. And they will take their children alive and they will offer to this God, Monarch. And they will check the, the, the child that's alive mm. in the arms of this God, molten metal, metal. hot. Mm. And the child will sizzle, screaming and yelling as the child is dying. And they will start to sing louder and louder so it drowns the noise of the child as they are celebrating this God. Mm. Now, you holier people than God, who are uncomfortable with God's judgment on the Canaanite, if you came across a tribe here today in the Western world that did something like that, okay? I'm not talking about we can sort of, I've seen we make the case of abortion, we've gotten comfortable with it. But I want to talk about just would you look at a toddler, the two years old, the three years old, five years old, six years old, being chucked to basically burn alive while somebody's celebrating that they sacrifice to their God. Mm. What would you do? What do you think our justice system would do if somebody did that today? And if that person was judged, or and, 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 would, would we feel uncomfortable that this person was judged? Would we say the judge who actually sentenced a person who did such horrible deeds was a, a, a terrible judge? Mm. Well, no. You know why? Because we're happy to play God. Yeah. We're happy to play God. I was saying it last Sunday. Yeah. We're happy to play God. And when we play God, it's fine. But when God plays God, we have an issue with that. Yeah. Now, so your problem is somewhere else. Your problem is pride. Mm. Your problem is you'd rather you be God than God is not God. Okay? Look at the tolerance, tolerant crowd uh, in our society today for the sin of not just simply agreeing with them on one particular sexual moral point. What they're capable of doing to even people, you know, your livelihood taken away, you know, your life thrown in turmoil. Because it's righteous to do that. Yeah. Right? Toe the line or else. So and you've done nothing more than express an opinion. Exactly. Just an opinion. Yeah. That's an how opinion. It, yeah, that's right. If they, if they had the power to make you disappear, they would. Yeah. Which, which is they do, metaphorically. Yeah. What I'm saying is what the Canaanite used to do was horrible. Mm. And yet God said, no, I'm going to give him time. Why? Because every single person knows the laws of God in their heart. Mm. The Bible says people have got no excuse from the beginning of the world, Romans chapter 1. People know the laws of God in their heart. And people have got no excuse. So God lets the time until the pig comes and then he judges them. And so his judgment was, why is the judgment being wiping off this entire population? It's because the things that you come to believe as a society, you teach it to your children. Yeah. They teach it to theirs. Yeah. And it propagates that teaching. Mm. You see what I mean? And so because of that, once it is ingrained in the adult, in children for generation, it becomes hard for you to like think about it for you to show up and start to teach our generation here today what the sexual morality of the nineteen hundreds and eighteen hundred used to be. Stay chaste until you get married and stick to one one to people yeah, today in our culture, even kids that go to school, the idea of that children stay, you know teenagers staying, you know, chaste and virgin, is laughed, laughed at by their peers. Mm. You see? Point yeah. of no return. Yeah. So once you get to that point, then it is up to God to say, well, the point we've gotten to, this society is so corrupt and gone so immoral 
that therefore God is in his right to judge. Yeah. And so if you're uncomfortable judge God judging people, well, don't wait for the, you know, the, 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 the return of Christ because it's going to be the day of judgment. That's the big one, isn't it? So what I'm saying is mm. the God of the Old Testament judged, he gave grace. The God of the New Testament judges and he gives grace. Mm. He's given grace right the same now. God. It's the same God. Yep. Like we've got, we're under grace right now and people are still rejecting Christ. And when he comes back, it's going to be judgment. Yeah. So if you are uncomfortable with God judging, you shouldn't even be a New Testament Christian. Mm. Yes. So the judgment of the Canaanite was justified. God is in his right to judge those people. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and when you look at that too, I mean, he judged them then, um, not like when Jesus comes back, everybody will be judged. Yeah, exactly. But, but he's done that. I mean, he's done that to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's done that yeah. all through the Bible. He's judged people or, or a group of people if at a particular just, time. If he's just and holy, yep. he cannot let sin go unpunished. No. Well, we don't. It's, it's things that we think are horrible and sinful. We don't let them go unpunished. We, we get all outraged and we're all virtue signaling and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice. And we were having a little bit of a extended ex- discussion off air, yes. um, which we'll continue. We'll, we'll sort of do a bit of a repeat off. Yes. But you know, Samuel, you were saying that um, that God judged the Canaanites. And, yes. and in the Old Testament, there are a number of times when God actually did that final judgment, like Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yep. But <clears throat> it's interesting because, as we said, um, there is one book of the Bible where God sends a messenger mm. and the city that was about to be destroyed mm. was saved. They turned and repented. Yes. So through Jonah, mm. um, that particular city uh, was redeemed mm. in that sense. They um, they repented and God gave them the grace that uh, that he wanted to pour out on them. But they mm. and, and, you know, even in Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot lived there. I mean, he knew God, mm. uh, and he uh, he would have had an opportunity to be able to do something in that culture because mm. I don't think he was really a insignificant person in that culture. I think yep. he, he had quite a, a, a high standing, yep. but he did nothing really to um, or or nothing effective, in a sense, to uh, to bring about any change in Sodom and Gomorrah, and so. You know, he was the only righteous one left, or him yep. and his family, and and even then, as you said, his wife, <laughs> his turned wife around. turned around, yes. and so she uh, she ended up being part of that uh, that judgment as well. Mm. Mm. So you, you know, the point that was that is really worth um, you know, remembering there is that repentance was open even to the Old Testament people, and exactly. these yeah. people in Nineveh were not actually Jews; these these were Gentiles. This is why Jonah was didn't like them. The Jonah, why do I'm going to you know, go and preach to those people. I, I don't like them, those dogs, you know, like that's the sort of, uh, you know, the, the pejorative. That, yeah, the attitude that, he had to them, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So mm. he that didn't want to go to Nineveh. No, he just, no. But, <laughs> and <laughs> <Too bad. laughs> yet, God showed his mercy to the Ninevites yep. as Jonah preached. So the, all, the Old Testament repentance was provided. And and, and, and you're talking about Lot uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. It's interesting. Abraham started to inter, in, intercede on the behalf of the city. And God was willing to not damage the city, uh, uh, destroy the city for, for the righteous, for the number of righteous that were in there. Mm. Until Abraham went, you know, interceding and stopped at five or somewhere around about, uh, if, if my memory is good. And so 
maybe if he had interceded to one or two, you know, uh, he could have he could have tried. Uh, but also, if the people, a righteous person in town, could have preached uh, to the town, and the town could have changed. And the, the point you're making there. But what is interesting about Lot is that Lot was saved out of Sodom and Gomorrah because he was a descendant. He was he was a relative of, of Abraham. Abraham. Yeah, yeah. Why do I say this? Because Lot himself and his children had let the morality of Sodom and Gomorrah get inside them. Mm. How do I know this? The text tells us when the angels get to Lot's house and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah come and they say, give us the people that the man that we've seen at your house, we want to go and sleep with them. Lot is looking is like, well, well, I can't do that. But at the end, Lot does something that is so ungodly and unrighteous. He negotiates. He said, I'll give you my daughters. Mm. What kind of morality is that? Yeah. I will give you my daughters so that you can spare this man. Mm. Well, what father would trade his daughters to go and sleep around? In that particular, it looks like it was something righteous that he did, but it was absolutely unacceptable. Mm. And the angels, guess what they did? They pulled the daughters of Lot inside. They hit the people at the door with blindness. So the people that go, they couldn't find where the door was. Lot was ready. Uh, he would have said to the, his daughters, what? This is okay. Just go and sleep with those people. And really, is that how we raise these kids? Mm. How do I know that was the problem? When they get to getting out, of course, his wife looks back. She's still, you know, you know, the remembering. The city. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like the children of Israel, when they got out of Egypt, you know, they say, oh, we used to be well in that Egypt. It's in the nature of human beings. Mm. She gets out. But when he gets there, so she's become a, a, a block of salt. And then when they get to the city where they were settling, one day the girls concoct an idea. Where did that come from? You know, we don't have any men around here. They didn't even say to the, his fa their father, we don't have any men around here. Can we take a trip somewhere around about where there's a village where we can meet men? No, no, no. They think, let's get him drunk and sleep with him. Mm. That's the kind of morality they had. Mm. So they get him drunk and they sleep with him. That's how Moab was born. Mm. The Moabite were descendants of Lot by the means of the relationship between his daughters and him. Mm. That's the kind of morality Lot is. So is Sodom and Gomorrah had gotten inside him. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Now, most people are probably uncomfortable because well, why would God kill children? Because we have this idea. The kids were innocent. Mm. Okay, right. Let's, let's assume that to be the case. But these kids were part of that society and they were seeing what their parents were doing. What do you think? They were just going to die. We're innocent. We're going to remain innocent. And we will never turn up like our parents because somehow we have another source of morality that's going to come from somewhere. Mm. No. No. You see, I, in fact, by God taking those children away from those parents, he saved those children from being actually brought out in a particular terrible moral situation. So if you believe that the kids were, were innocent, you should be happy that actually God, because God, he is the giver of life and he can take life. God doesn't owe anybody a life. Mm. He doesn't owe you an extra day. Why does he owe you an extra day? He, he created you and he can, when God takes a life, he's not doing something unjust for taking a life. In fact, God doesn't kill people. He moves them from a, a realm to another. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So 
this indignation that is in us is because we've set a standard. We think if God talks, it's not okay for God to move people. Who are you to tell God what he should and not do and not do with creation? Whether mm. he, because we think man must be able to tell God what he should do. So, mm. so just hold that as a thought. If you are a Christian and you felt uncomfortable about the Canaanite issue, it's because you've somehow been seduced by setting a moral standard by which you think your standard is higher than God's standard. That's what you can judge him by. Mm. Since you know you can't judge him, you just say, I'm just going to stay away from that. I'm going to look for what makes me comfortable. You know, the Jesus bit, the nice bit, you know, the love. It's, you know, right, yeah? Until you hear Jesus say when he comes back, he's going to judge the dead and the living. Yeah. Okay. Now, so, we put, put that aside. <laughs> that was a slight distraction. No, 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 no. It's no, a good point yeah. to make. Yeah. But now, I want to be fair to the people who are, you know, uncomfortable with the idea that Old Testament and New Testament, because they think the Old Testament is Old Testament law. You know, Christ redeems from the law. Right? Yeah. So, Galatians, as, as you read, and I'm going to give a number of texts there, uh, which basically make people go uh, that way. Now, to be able to tackle the challenge between understanding the law when Apostle Paul say we're no longer under the law, what did he actually mean? You need to go back to the Old Testament and see how the law of God is set within the confine of the Old Testament. There are two types of laws that we can talk about in the Old Testament. Okay. One is the moral law of God, and the second is the covenant law or the ordinances of the nation of Israel. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we've got two set of in fact, it's a bit confusing when people read law, law. They think it's exactly the same thing. No, you've got two sets of, of laws here. And I'm going to show you the difference between the two uh, as part of our introduction. Then what we'll do when we get a chance, we start next week with the first the commandment. We're going to go one at a time. But let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's sort of look at uh, what we, we need to to deal with from within the scripture in the Old Testament. Now, if you open your Bible, we're going to read a um, few texts that I am interested in. Okay? So, looking at the book of the law versus the law of Moses. Okay? Uh, if, if you open your Bible in Exodus. So, let's start with the book of Exodus chapter 20. Uh, if you've got your Bible, I was actually going to do a really long reading. <clears throat> Um, given the time we have, I'm actually sort of thinking maybe there's another quicker way of doing this. But I would like to encourage every one of our listeners to go and read this text. So you're starting from Exodus chapter 20, and you're reading all the way to Exodus chapter 34. So that's a lot of reading you have to do. Okay? But I'm going to make the points here, and so you can see... Uh, where uh, we're coming to. The first point I want to make is the moral law of God, the moral law of God, is the law that was given to Moses as the Ten Commandments. Okay? Mm-hmm. The Ten Commandments, which started what is called ethical monothe- monotheism, uh, is the divine 
moral law of God. And what, how do we establish the difference between this law? I'll give you some of its characteristics. This law of God was spoken to Moses and to the assembly by God himself. Yeah. Exodus chapter 20. When you read Exodus chapter 20, so all the Israel, verse 1, joined together, they all came together to stand before the Lord in the city of Mitzvah. No, 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 no. This is Judges. Well, why am I reading Judges? Uh, let's open Exodus chapter 20. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't sound that like doesn't, Mitzvah. No, no, that's not in Mitzvah. They're not in Mitzvah now. These are the things God told his people. God said these things. You know, when you read the book of Exodus, it starts, and the Lord said these things. Now, this were told by God in the midst of the cloud mm -hmm. with a loud voice and with thick darkness and there was thunder and the Bible goes on to say and he added no more. Nothing else to it. And God engraved these laws himself and gave it to Moses. Yep. Here is Moses rendering that particular story in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22. So, Deuteronomy chapter 5. So, I want to say the law of God, the Ten Commandments, was given by God and written by Him. Mm -hmm. So, if you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 5, uh, let's see, verse 22. Now, listeners may not know why, because I, I don't, actually, I, I kept running and I didn't bring my... You didn't bring your little Bible. That's my mm. Bible, like my with a capital <laughs> my. But it's, it's, it's a Bible, it's the Word of God, so we just read it. Um, so, Deuteronomy... Chapter 5. So if you found it where you are as our listeners, you could just open and we're going to read uh, that text together. Okay. Verse 22, we read. In fact, when you start to read Deuteronomy from chapter 5, Moses called all the children of Israel and said to them, uh, listen to the laws and the rules that I tell you today. Learn these laws and should to obey them. The Lord our God made an agreement with us about Mount Horeb. I'll get to that one in a moment. So, let's turn to verse 22. Moses said, The Lord gave these commandments to all of you when you were together there at the mountain. He spoke in a loud voice that came from fire and a cloud and thick darkness. After he gave us these commands, he didn't say anything more. Okay, mm. so when you're looking at your Ten Commandments, they were given by God and written by Him, and He added nothing more to these. Right, and that's something to remember. And now you go to, you know, I, I'm going to show you that God actually engraved those th twice. Yes, that's he right. Engraved Himself yeah. those Ten Commandments twice mm. Himself. Mm. But yes, we'll, we'll do that. Later. So you're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice, and we're on the home straight, sort of. Samuel, I'll let you continue on where you left off. And so I was therefore saying that if you remember the story, God speaks in the, in the cloud, and, and so Exodus 20, 1 yep. to 17, and uh, everybody's terrified. Mm. And they're terrified. They say to Moses, 
We don't want to hear from him again. It's too terrifying. You go. He talks to you. You come and tell us. Right? Yes, exactly. And this is the reason why Moses then went to the mountain and got the ten tab- the, the, the two tablets with the Ten Commandments. And when he comes back, he comes back. Guess what happens? He finds them worshiping the golden calf. Yeah. So what does he do? He smashes those other Ten Commandments. And so he has to go back to the Lord. And so that then he can get the tablets again. So God tells him to get the stone. I just reckon that bit's really amazing that God went and did that a second time. I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You didn't have to smash the tablets. <laughs> <laughs> so when he goes back to get the tablets, the Lord tells him to get the tablet and cut the tablet out. Yeah. But it is the finger of God that writes that mm-hmm. commandment. Mm-hmm. At Deuteronomy chapter 10 at the time, the Lord said to me, you must cut out two stone tablets like the first two stones. Then you must come up to me on the mountain. Also, make a wooden box. I will write the stone tablets, the same words that were on the first. God wrote those. Yeah. Moses didn't. Didn't even use his memory. Yeah. I'm making this point because when we start to talk about the first commandment, you will see why. God said these things. Mm. God wrote those commandments. Mm. And so those commandments were written by God. They are his eternal moral code. Yeah. And so uh, as, as you keep reading, so then you must put these in a new box. And so I made the box from acacia wood and I cut two stones like the first two stones. Then I went up to the mountain. I had two stone tablets in my hand and the Lord wrote on the stones the same word he had written before the Ten Commandment. He spoke to you from the fire when you were gathered together at the mountain. Yeah. This is very important to remember. Now, so that's the first set. The second set of what we need to remember is what was called the ordinance, the covenant that God made with the children of Israel. And that is a different set of things. When you go, as I gave you the text, you read through. By the time you start to read, um, you know, you start to read past Exodus chapter 20, verse uh, 17. And you notice that after God had given the Ten Commandments, then God gave to Moses the law of covenant between him and the children of Israel. Mm-hmm. Just, just given the, that the time. And that law was written by Moses. And it was which is all the rest of all the rules, which was the civil laws yep. and the ceremonial laws mm-hmm. uh, and the dietary laws that then ended up being written and being put as a testimony, as a witness, as a covenant between Israel and Thank God. And, God. Mm. and if one does not, I've, I haven't really jumped into giving you I've given you the text to read because when we come back probably in, uh, in our next session before I start the first commandment, I'll basically go over this, this particular point. But our, our listeners would have read it. And so God gave, he wrote his moral eternal law, the Ten Commandments, on the tablet. But the covenant he made with the children of Israel, Moses wrote those. Mm. And it was put Apart from Ten Commandments being put in an Akasha box, which was in, in the holiest of all. And then this was put in the, in, in, the, in the holiest of all on the side of the ark 
as a witness so that the law will accuse them if they didn't do it. Mm. You see? So in that sense, God had set a covenant. This is why when I was reading the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 5, it said, Moses called together all the Israelites and said to them, Israel, listen to the laws and the rules and the ordinances. What's that mean? The law. Mm. And the ordinances that I tell you today, learn these laws, be sure to obey them. The Lord our God made an agreement with us at Mount Horeb. The Lord did not make this agreement with our ancestors, but with us. Mm. Yes, with all of us who are alive here today. Okay? So, the Lord had made an ordinance with them, and this will therefore be written in what is called the Book of Covenant. Right. So, when Apostle Paul is saying, for example, to the Galatians that you're no longer under the law, so that I can sort of wrap this up so get where I'm going. He wasn't saying to the Galatians, now you're no longer bound by do not murder. You cannot worship another God. You're not going to find another God, make image and worship. You know, tell, you know, false witness. He wasn't saying that. He was saying the law that was the covenant of Israel by which Israel lived as a nation no longer binds you, whether it is circumcision, the ceremonial laws, you know, the purification laws. laws. Yes, you're no longer bound by those. And this was established at the Jerusalem Council, Act of the Apostles, chapter 15. This is why Paul had a bit of a contention with all the other apostles when uh, the the Judaizers wanted the, 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 the Gentiles to follow the Mosaic law, that is the ordinances. Yeah. Had nothing to do with the Ten Commandments. No. And if one doesn't make the difference between the two, now, many Christians are uncomfortable with the Ten Commandments because there is a couple of places like, you know, the Sabbath and, and honor your, your mom and dad. So we will look at those. Yeah. But that wraps up the whole idea, Ten Commandments, eternal law, moral of God, and the ordinances are different. We'll look at Ten Commandments from next week. Well, that will be terrific, and we'll look forward to that. Um, So we will uh, catch you all next week. Hope you have a blessed week.